And now, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Welcome to this episode of Down the Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down-to-Earth Landscape Design, and with me tonight is my co-host, Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew. Good evening, Joanne, and good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it is important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And it is the last month of June. Can you believe it? No. So, so tonight we wrap up our deep dive into some of the favorite, um, our favorites, of uh, the colorful and resilient staples of the perennial garden with a look at a favorite of many, and that is a perennial geranium or also known as Cranesbill. So if you want to join in the conversation, you have questions about perennials, questions about uh, perennial geraniums, um, or anything else about your perennial garden, please send your questions to instudio101 at gmail.com. Right? That's right. That's excellent. right. Excellent. So we've had a good time. We've, ta- we've covered a lot from compared to last year's show and this year's shows in the month of June. We've covered a lot of perennials, right? And deep dives. And so something that kind of came to my attention was that you, Matt, is so good at explaining the science. So we often talk in all of our discussions along the way, we talk about hybrid, we use words like hybrid, cultivar, and variety. And Cranesville is a big family where that's, that's you know, a, happens a lot. So I thought we would start off the show, Matt, and have you explain the differences between hybrid, cultivar, and variety. Um, and again, it applies especially to cranesbills and perennial geraniums, also how they're known, but many of the ones we've already talked about, right? Echinacea, rutabecchia, different things like that. So how's that? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, let's start out with uh, things like varieties. Um, so varieties are things that often occur um, in nature. And this also means that they're going to be naturally, they'll, they'll go be true to type. So they'll seed true to type. So when you propagate them or they set seed, you'll usually get the same group of, of flowers um, or something that's very closely related to the original plant. So you might have um, a plant that is a natural variety of you know, plant A, it sets some seeds, uh, but it's not the identical. There are some, a little bit of, of variation from mom or dad, from the parents. For example, you know, the parent plant might have purple flowers uh, and the children or the variety of this plant might have purple flowers with a white edge or white flowers completely or white and purple flowers. Uh, so they're very true to type usually when they start to, to seed themselves with slight variations. Cultivars are not necessarily true to type. Uh, and it actually means like it's a cultivated variety. Uh, so it's a variety that we have found that has occurred out in nature. It has a set group of 
conditions, so, you know, like soil types or tolerances, bloom color, leaf shape, things that we like, uh, that we select for our plants, uh, that we want out of those plants to, you know, address certain situations or other needs. So these cultivated varieties aren't usually true to type. Uh, as they get cross-pollinated and set their seeds, they'll change, they'll create kids with different varieties or different characteristics, but we cultivate them and clone them by cuttings and divisions and things like that, so that we always get that same plant out of the same thing. So if you ever see a plant name, uh, and as we're talking about cranes bills this evening, uh, we're going to talk about uh, geranium, and then you'll see in the Latin name, uh, Roseanne, and it'll be in single brackets with a capital R. That is your cultivar. So Roseanne is a cultivar. It was a cultivated variety with these characteristics that we like, the flower color, its habit, uh, because it comes from a group or a species of geraniums that grow very big. Uh, and although this one is a, a decent sized plant, it's not as big as the species. Uh, so we've cultivated that one and it's one of our stars in our, our geranium uh, family. And then we have hybrids. So these we have taken, you know, uh, mom and dad with plant A and plant B. Uh, they both show favorable characteristics that we want and we want to, uh, you know, bring out or exemplify those characteristics to create a new plant. So we'll hybridize these two plants uh, and come up with a new uh, cultivar or cultivated variety hybrid with those children from those two plants. And then we will have those new hybrid plants that we'll use. And you'll often see them if you look at your or Latin name, uh, sometimes it'll just be, for example, like if it's like a rose, it can be just Rosa and then your, your just your bracket, your name, for example, like Geranium Roseanne. Uh, we know the parents of those ones, but when you get into hybridizing and you get lots of those species uh, or multiple tries, sometimes they just drop the formal Latin name. So yeah, so hybrids, things that we're crossing to create those characteristics. Varieties are those crosses that occur naturally uh, in nature that are very close uh, to the parent plant. And then the cultivar is a cultivated variety. Those varieties that we have seen that have occurred in nature, we don't want them to change too much. So we're going to harvest them and we're going to create them in our, um, you know, our greenhouses. We're going to propagate them so that we can continue to offer those and have those in our gardens. How was that? Excellent. Yeah, I think you did great. No, I think, and it's funny because we were chatting before the show and I, I mean, I know all that, like I studied that in school too, but it doesn't, as a designer, it doesn't stick with me. And I was saying, I kind of always wondered why I, you know, always lean on you to explain, but I said, I think it is that when I'm designing and I want to plant in a spot, that stuff doesn't matter. Like I, I like the height, the color, how much light it takes, how much water it takes, like all the other characteristics are the things that go through my mind when I'm designing a garden and want to place plants here or there, whether it's, you know, so I guess in my mind, in what I do in my application, whether it's a cultivar or a variety um, or a hybrid, it, it doesn't really matter. So I guess it just doesn't stick with me, even though, you know, I have been taught it. So, uh, so yeah, so I think, um, but that this family, um, and many people will also get confused with the annual uh, geranium that we referred to, which is, we will both say it wrong, but that the botanical name for the annual geranium is? Pelargonium. 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 
Pelargonium. So P-E-L-A-R. Yes. G-O-N-I-U-M. That's right. right. So that is an annual plant. It's most commonly known as red and hanging baskets. It's kind of the staple of the annuals. It is not related whatsoever to the perennial geranium or cranes bill family. Right. They're, right. they're related. They're, they're both individual genuses um, with their own groups of different species. Uh, and then as you go up into the big taxonomic classification, eventually they become related somewhere in there. But okay. yeah, they are totally two g- different uh, uh, genuses. Yeah, one's annual and one's perennial. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And I was excited to talk about it that we felt like, again, when we planned this last November, um, <laughs> this is a great plant that has a ton of different variety and potential in the garden. And I think it's underused. Many of them are under, underused. I know the more common one that I use the most is being overused, mostly by me and in my own garden, but which is Roseanne that you mentioned. But there are a lot of applications. And the more you learn about the cranes bill family of perennials, the more you'll see that it, they definitely are worth having a few varieties in your, in your garden, aren't there? Yes, there are lots of, of different ones. And they all do lots of different things. Uh, and they're very versatile plants. Um, so as we get into maybe some of the conditions, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to throw in too, um, geranium. Uh, what does that mean? So geranium is actually derived from the Greek word, and I don't speak Greek, so par- pardon my butchering of the name. Uh, I'm going to say geranos or geranos, so G-E-R-A-N-O-S. Uh, and that means crane. Uh, referring to the bird and reference to the beak-like appearance that when those flowers go to seed, uh, they look like the little crane or the head uh, of of the crane bird. Uh, So it refers to that appearance of the fruit or the seed pot. So that's where we're getting geranium from. Ah, very cool. But there are a lot of different, different types. Most of them are going to tolerate a wide range of soils, preferring from average to moist uh, soils. And they're going to be, a lot of them being partial sun uh, to full sun. But we can get into things uh, like our native North American species, maculatum, the spotted crane bills. Uh, They're a woodland species and are very tolerant of that partial sun to full shade um, as well. So we also have, as I have um, mentioned, I think I think I just said, we've got two types of geraniums within all of the species as well. So we tend to see an alpine type and a border type. And the alpine types are usually the groups uh, that are low growing, much like an alpine plant in other plant species. They're low growing, they can be very dense. They're usually anywhere from that four inches to 12 inches in height and have uh, varying bloom periods, but they're usually used as that border, or sorry, that that low ground cover or that filling in of the space. And then we see things as our, our, our most popular one, uh, and you'll hear us refer to it, I think, all night, our Roseanne geranium, which is actually a hybrid uh, geranium, I believe, of macrorhizum uh, and uh, silostanum, uh, the Armenian cranes bill, uh, the border types you're going to see on the edges of borders. So these are usually medium tall plants, and they're going to be ranging anywhere from about 12 inches to 24 to 36 uh, inches. And 
we favor the ones that are closer to that 12 to 24. We love them because they're long blooming. They're great in masses. We can use them as, as the name implies, as a border. Uh, just a nice rounded, mounded habit uh, of beautiful cut foliage. Some have nice dark colors. Uh, and then they're going to fill in with a number of groups of uh, little daisy-like or five-petaled uh, open cup-shaped flowers. Um, yes. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, so it is a big family. So um, if our listeners are, you know, familiar, then we'd love to know which one you're growing. So let us know where you're calling from or where you're emailing from. And if you are growing from growing them, that would be great. But we have some questions. We have, yes, as we start our geraniums, we have five right off the top. We have some five uh, perennial questions and some comments from all of our listeners, which we love indeed. Um, I'm going to just start from the bottom. Winita writes in, hello, Joanne and Matthew. I've been meaning to write in and ask you this question. As landscape designers, do you design and actually do the design or, uh, sorry, do the design work on uh, the land? Just curious. Uh, Juanita. I, I am a great question. Nobody's ever asked us about, they forget. I think everybody forgets we're uh, designers. So yes, thank you for that question. Yes, exactly. Thank you very much, Juanita. Um, being a younger firm myself and kind of starting out, uh, I am very much doing the design and, uh, you know, I can install and do garden maintenance. Um, but when it comes to the bigger, you know, hardscaping sides of things, I can design it, but I'm definitely outsourcing that work to a contractor, but I will come in and I can, you know, weed your garden, uh, you know, mow your lawn if you really want to, uh, analyze pests and diseases, prune things back, fall cleanups, do a lot of that kind of hands-on uh, gardener work in addition to doing the full, you know, scale, color, and landscape uh, design. Joanne? <coughs> oh, as I breathe in. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, and now, um, oh, there you I go. I know, here I am back. Um, I, uh, yeah, no, no, breathing. Um, I definitely, I, I do, uh, I do the design, I do the planning, but I do, I am on site for, um, for the laying out of the plants and like, so anything that's plant related, Juanita, as far as the design goes, I am involved. And because sometimes even though I've drawn it a certain way, when the plants all arrive, you know, things things may have changed, the, the beds might be slightly different because of the hardscaping, that type of thing. So I do like to be there and lay out all the plants. Um, I, I do do sometimes do the planting. I often say I don't do the heavy lifting. Like, so I'm, I'm there, I'm going to do a job, big job tomorrow where we need to remove some things and rearrange existing and, and add things. So I'm definitely a bit more hands-on from that standpoint. I'm, I'm a big klutz, so I try not to hurt myself. Um, so that's that's a key thing for me is not to uh, to hurt myself. But uh, I try to be in as careful as I can, but still be involved. Um, but anything hardscape wise, uh, yeah, definitely those are the contractors are, are doing that. So, um, um, so yeah, so I, I try to be as involved as possible, whether it's with the contractor, sometimes it's homeowners. You know, I do a planting plan, I deliver the plants, and then they ask me to lay them all out. And then and the homeowners put them in. So that's another another way to be involved. So yeah, it's a long answer to your question. But thank you for that question. 
Yes, we really appreciate that question because we do uh, enjoy talking and, and letting you guys know what we actually do as landscape designers beyond just saying it at the front of the show. <laughs> uh, Monique wrote in a comment, uh, OMG, Matthew, you sound just like a college professor expert. Amazing. And thank you. That means a lot because I actually uh, do teach at the local college. So it's good mm. that I, it I come across like that way. <laughs> um, and Rachel has written in, hello, if I notice that my plants are getting large, can I just snip them to cut them back? And if so, what is the best procedure? Thanks. Uh, Rachel, I love your email address, by the way, but okay. <laughs> yes, that is a fun email address. <laughs> um, yes and no. Um, some of them you can. You can do some deadheading and shearing back. It depends on where they are uh, in their life cycle. And for example, geraniums are going to be one of those ones uh, that we can definitely shear back as they get very large, as they kind of go through their blooming period. Uh, and that's usually when you want to do it. You can give them a good shear back and you're going to have a rewarded with a new group of foliage. So things like our um, salvias, if you really need to, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you could cut those hard back, but you're going to lose a lot of the height and the body out of them. Um, but yeah, things like Coreopsis as well, which we haven't talked about this month, but we have noticed on the show. Again, once those full flush of flowers are out, uh, instead of deadheading individually, that's where you're going to go in and you can shear back. So it's more of like a refreshing of of the foliage if you're finding that they're getting super large and they're just becoming um you know that you may have got some branches pushing out into a walkway or something like that you can always prune up to a third of the foliage without really stunting or damaging the plant but then again if they're really large and they're a regular perennial nuisance uh, pardon the pun, uh, it might be time to dig that guy up and divide them or separate mm -hmm. them and make them into a smaller clump so they're not as large or as a, a, a big maintenance mm -hmm. uh, to do so. Yeah, and I think it, it definitely depends. If it's a re-blooming perennial, like salvia will bloom and then it stops. And so then you can yes. kind of deadhead that. So you don't have to cut the whole plant back, but you can just cut off the flowers that stop blooming and they will grow new flowers. But I find if my like the, my long bloomers and re-bloomers like my perennial geranium or let's say my catnip, cat mint, um, nepeta, uh, if I leave it alone once it stops blooming and it, it certainly has gotten big and it's kind of split in the center, but if I don't do anything, it will rebloom again. If I was to cut it all the way back, it will rebloom, but it's going to rebloom much later. Like there's going to be a longer yeah. period of time. So I have to say, Rachel, it really does depend. Um, if it's really like something that's fallen over and looks messy, um, then okay. You know, but it's up to you on long, how long you are okay with not having a bloom. Um, from that standpoint, like R Russian sage is floppy and, and falls over. But if you cut that back in its growing season, I don't know that you like it's going to take a long time for it to reproduce again, to bloom again. So I think that's I think it re like the short answer for me is it really depends on the location. And, and if it's in like the back corner of the yard, that doesn't matter. That's fine. But if you know, it's a front garden, and you want blooms staying all the time, then I would rather keep the blooms on it and have it be a little bit bigger then they have to go, you know, three or four weeks without any blooms. That's just my two cents. No, that's a, exactly. And I, I thank you for throwing that in there. Because, yeah, as we're talking about, like, um, for example, like the 
salvias. Yeah, you can just deadhead them. You've got that body again, that foliage. If you really needed to, you could rejuvenate it down to the ground to refresh all that foliage. And and in my mind, and I'm not really saying it is like if you've got powdery mildew or you've had an insect issue, right? But yes, everything that yes, exactly what Joanne yeah. said. So yeah. and and Rachel did say like, and how do we do it? But I think it depends on what it is. Like I said, salvia, you yes. could just take off the flower stalks to a point and then the plant will reproduce more um, perennial geranium or like Roseanne, you know, Russian sage, you'd have to, you know, cut it down to the ground or this like a center, you know, same with, um, a cat, a cat mint. Um, so I think it just, it really depends on the perennial. Um, so the ones where you're taking off a flower stalk, um, then I think that's easier. Like, uh, same like, uh, echinacea that we talked about last week. If yeah. you want, you can take off the stalk and new stalks will keep coming that type of thing. Um, yeah. Right. So hope that yeah. helps. That was yeah. a big question. It is a big question. And yes, very depending on the form and habit and who you've got for sure. Cindy's written in also. Thanks, Joanne and Matthew, for all the great perennial advice this month. You're very welcome, Cindy. Thank you. We're glad you enjoyed it. Uh, and she says that my garden looks marvelous, Cindy. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So Greg, we, uh, he has a good question. So Greg is do you have to bring in geraniums in the winter? So I'm not sure if you're turned in a little late, Greg, but we are talking about perennial geraniums. They're not related to the annual pelargoniums. Um, that the annual ones you do have to bring inside if you want to keep them over winter. But the perennial geraniums are, in fact, that they can die down and, and stay in your garden for the winter. So that is, and they're uh, color and their sizes and the varieties are, are, are really extensive. So we're going to do a deep dive on the different varieties, but it's good to know that um, it's not related to the annual geranium um, that you bring in for winter, if you are so inclined. That's right. That's right. All of our groups that we're talking about are all that perennial. Uh, that's right. So let's jump into a few that you may have seen. Uh, we'll look at some of the different species, uh, and then maybe we can jump in and, and maybe name a few of those cultivars um, and varieties that we'll get to see uh, out there that you can kind of take a look for. Um, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, okay. I was going to start with um, geranium macrorhizum, uh, the big root geranium, and that's where your macro um, comes from, big meaning big, and rhizum referring to the roots. Uh, of the plant itself. So the big root uh, cranes bill, these guys are border types um, with those nice um, vigorous ground cover forming a dense mat. So it's a border type, very vigorous growing. Um, they also have very fragrant um, leaves and the leaves are much, and I don't think we've really jumped into it uh, as well, but they are almost like a, much like the pelargonium leaves, they're kind of rounded um, with a very pell, um, palmate look to them. So that kind of that hand, if you kind of splay out your fingers as much as you can, and then just kind of draw a circle around your hand and around your wrist. But just like our hands, some of them will get those little cuts, those finely toothed uh, cuts down deeper into the leaf for that opening. Um, so these leaves are also very fragrant and this leaf form kind of goes through all of them. And again, each of the species might have some variation in their leaves, uh, but they're also very extremely fragrant leaves. So when you break them apart, Macrorhizum is great as it is very heat tolerant. Uh, so it's great uh, for um, a full sun uh, and it's going to tolerate a partial shade 
They're great for fall color as well. So the leaves are going to give you some nice red fall color. Uh, and it's going to adapt to that high heat and a wide variety of range of different soil types. The macrorhizums tend to be uh, a couple months worth of their blooms. They're going to bloom through June and July. So you'll see them out now blooming. And one of the varieties or cultivars that you're going to see uh, is Bevan's variety. And it's a deep magenta pink uh, bright and cheery flower. This is one that we I often see uh, in the garden center. Um, a very um, yeah, nice magenta, bright pink, very cheery, kind of a medium minty green uh, kind of leaf, um, and it's it's quite popular uh, as well. So that's go. Oh, look like oh, that's seeing. good. Yeah, oh. no, I think that is a really good uh, variety, and it is. It is quite a low growing one too, which was, which is kind of nice. Yes. And I, actually, I totally missed that. So for those who are uh, looking, the macro rhizomes, they're going to be, again, they're a border type. So they're in that 12 inch range by about um, 16 to 24 inches wide. And for those of you who might be in different climates, they're hardy to zone two. So they're quite hardy if you were up mm. in uh, Winnipeg or, or in a northern region, they're mm -hmm. quite strong and hardy as well. Excellent. Excellent. That's great. And um, is there a variety that is native, like to, to our zone, the big root? Uh, the maculatum, no, um, sorry, macrorhizum, no, but maculatum, very similar. Okay. Um, yes, it is a native uh, to uh, North America and uh, Eastern, I think the Eastern United States. Um, I'd have to actually look because I'm not too sure where macrorhizum is, so I may have misspoke uh, to where it is native from. Uh, but maculatum is our native um, crane's bill, so geranium maculatum. It's the spotted crane's bill. It's actually a woodland species, and this is the species that uh, performs very well in shaded area as long as it's got some reliable moisture. Mm. Uh, she's going to bloom. Again, April through June, so not a, an overly long period as some of the other ones that we're going to discover or, or discuss. But it's a border type, prefers rich, moist soil. Uh, she's going to be a little bit bigger. She's going to be about 18 to 24 inches tall and wide. And again, using for borders and woodland settings uh, and blaming from late spring over a mound of deeply divided medium green leaves. Excellent. Um, excellent. So that, and that is a good one that we often recommend for really tough growing conditions, like in the shade. Um, it spreads, spreads nicely. Uh, you know, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough uh, perennial. And I think it's a little underused, you know, I think we could yeah. use it a bit more for those tough, tough situations. Right. As far as cultivars, um, one of my favorite ones of the maculatums of spotted uh, is espresso. And it's got a nice dark coffee brown leaf with, uh, and it's a little shorter, 12 to 18 inches tall and wide, espresso colored leaves. And she has nice bright pink flowers that as they age, they're going to fade into a nice white color uh, over it. So soft pink and then moving into like a, a bright soft pink moving into a white as she ages. Excellent. That's a great idea. Great. Um. So do we, we, I think we have to start by talking about Roseanne or, or I, I know, I think we have a question about Roseanne was so we can kind of lead, go into that uh, 
Um, Tom has asked, can Roseanne geraniums be planted and grown in the shade or do they need sun? Thank you. So that's, you know, base that discussion and we can talk about what's, I think it was perennial of the year a few years ago. It's, it's a very popular perennial. Um, it is in my garden. I use it in other garden in my garden designs as well. Um, it, don't you think it's one of the most important, uh, you know, it's a, and it's a re-blooming one. Yes. Yeah. The Roseanne is, is, is fantastic. It's also a border type um, zone four. She's going to grow about 20 to 20. I've seen some a little bit taller. Uh, yeah. But you'll see I'm, I'm, I've seen like 36 inches now. Yes, like it's, exactly. It's get, yeah. It's, it's getting to shrub, you know, in four year four and five, it's, it's pretty much a shrub quant shrub size. And it's shocking that it can go in the winter. Like when the spring starts, it's still, still that small little plant and it just poof, it just grows. So it, it definitely can outgrow its space. Um, but it's, it reliably blooms from May until November. We will have a snow. It will Easily. in the GTA, we will have snow and it will still be blooming when we have snow in November and December. Um, yes. You know, every year I take a picture of it covered in snow. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, and I think that's why I use it. I, I don't use a ton of perennials in my gardens and I that I design because I want something that's going to bloom a long time. So I have a handful of plants that give the clients who want low maintenance, who don't want to be out there deadheading and staking and fussing with their perennials, but they want um, cons consistent color. And Roseanne does that. So, um, so that's why it's one of my favorites. Uh, they have come out with one called Azure Rush uh, Geranium, which looks identical. Um, but apparently doesn't get as tall. So I'm testing that in my garden this year. I just planted it this weekend, actually, in, in a different spot. So I can kind of compare. Um, but yeah, so that is a very popular one. Um, and Tom, I've seen it grow. I don't know that you could put it in full shade. I have, I think it's, it does well in full sun, but it also does well in uh, part sun. Um, with dappled, you know, with some dappled light. So I, I it probably won't get as big, um, but it still will bloom. But I don't, I haven't tried it in full shade. I have to, I agree with you there. I Loving in the full sun, a bright dappled partial shade, it, it will still perform nicely and maybe not grow as quickly or as big. Uh, but I've never seen it really be much more than very sparse, non-flowering, uh, almost leggy looking kind of leaves in a, in a shadier location. Mm -hmm. um, I've never seen it perform as well as it does in the full sun. Right. Right. Yeah. And to follow up that Irene's asking about um, are Roseanne geraniums invasive? I like what you're saying about them, but how invasive are they? Thank you. I, I don't think they're invasive in the, to me, invasive means it's going to pop up in other places of the yard. Or that if you decided you didn't like it and you took it out and it, it would keep coming back. Um, and that's not the case for Roseanne. So I think it definitely spreads and will, it's tricky because when you first put it in, it's so small. So you leave, mm -hmm. you don't, you don't leave a ton of room and then it kind of starts eating other plants um, in years <laughs> three and four, but, you know, first year one and two, it's not bad. Um, so, uh, so yeah, and I can actually, I've given pieces of mine to a neighbor across the street who's put them in her boulevard. So I probably can actually post, uh, I'll do this on Instagram. 
uh, on our Down the Garden Path podcast Instagram, I can show you like year two, like it's a real, you know, what my, what my plant looks like and what her two that I gave her last year and one I gave her two years ago and kind of see the difference. And it is incredible, but in the spring, like it's still this little thing, um, you know, so I, Irene, do not consider them invasive. I don't know. Would you consider them? No, I've never seen them when they're, they're invasive. And like you said, they tend to be those good spreaders that clump or mounding habit. And then because they're so small, um, people like to plant lots of them in together, not realizing how big and how, how wide they're going to spread in, in subsequent years. So I find they tend to be overplanted. And then people are like, oh my God, look how much this is taking up uh, more than so that they're invasive or they're spreading by seeds or roots or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Gail has written in a question. Do you have to feed perennials? And if so, what is a good generalized food to feed them? I have a wide assortment of perennials and do not want to buy a lot of different fertilizer feeds, etc. Um, can you name one that is good for most perennials? Thanks for the advice. Um, good question, Gail. And I've seen this pop up quite a bit on social media as well. Um, I personally don't, uh, Matt, you're the hard goods, uh, you know, specialist at the garden center, but I personally don't add any fertilizer to my perennials at all. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Much like you and I have talked about on the show, right? If, if you're building good soil, Um, and you're picking the right plant for the right place, you don't need to do a lot of supplementary heavy feeding or anything Mm. like that. Um, But you know what, if something's struggling, or you're just not sure, or there's something going on, and you do feel that you want to give it a food or a boost, or you know that you've kind of got some rough soil that you might need to supplement, um, I look at the stages of the two. What are they doing? And when are they doing it? So if you've got something that's just kind of green, it's just a massive foliage, uh, whether it's a tree or shrub or a perennial, something like a good balanced fertilizer or something high in nitrogen is perfect. She's just kind of going to grow. Uh, she's going to give you some leaves. You just want to kind of give her something balanced where she can stabilize, be food, happy, and do her thing. But if you find that someone you're trying to jumpstart someone, uh, you know, into the flowering, or they're actually in a time of that month or their life cycle in which they should be flowering, that's where I'll move into something that says ultra bloom or blooming or big flowers or something like that. And you'll usually see something with like a 15, 30, 15, uh, where they're going to give you some good growth. They're going to feed those flowers. And then you've got that potassium on the end to help uh, stabilize just the whole system, that immune system. System, if you will, and those resistances. So just two things, two weapons in your arsenal, just a nice balanced general, and then a nice balanced uh, blooming or phosphorus heavy fertilizer. You don't need a 10-50-210 or anything like that. Just a nice, you know, 10-15-10 or 15-30-15, I think is the most common number out there. And and water soluble. So if you wanted to put it on a watering can kind of thing. But I I really think it's you're better off to in the fall, top up the soil with manure and compost, and really do your focus on the soil, because then that'll benefit all the other like it's going to benefit your lawn and your trees and your shrubs, not just the perennials. So, you know, and it's easier, because then you're just doing that at the end of the year. You know, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Oh, yeah, it's uh, 7.36, actually. We're moving uh, yeah. right through. Uh, so I'm going to just take a, 
a quick second uh, and just, you know what, say thank you, everybody, for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the fabulous guests who join us here on the show. Don't forget, you can spend more time with us down the garden path. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook as well at down the garden path is our uh, handle there. And you can find lots of your uh, favorite past episodes or past episodes of Down the Garden Path packed with lots of wonderful information on any of your favorite podcast providers. And don't forget, while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We love hearing from you, where you're from, what you're doing in your gardens. Uh, so we love to hear from all of our listeners. Don't forget as well, you can find us, uh, Joanne, you can find Joanne at uh, www.downwiththenumber2earth.ca. And you can find myself, Matthew, at naturalaffinity.ca. Excellent. Well, that's good. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening and, and tuning in each week. We love doing this. And uh, we do. Yeah, we, we really do. <laughs> um, so, and even my like my neighbors like, you've got that again. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, every Monday. So, yeah. yeah, I know. Every Monday. So. Uh, so, yeah, thank you, everybody. Um, and I'm so excited. Everybody seems really enthusiastic about uh, the geranium. So I'm glad we finally got around to talking about them. Um, so, yeah. That's right. I think as we move through our list of species, um, we've touched on Roseanne and we keep referring to Roseanne. Um, did we mention that uh, Roseanne is hardy to zone four? Uh, it is a, a border type um, and it's going to be um, uh, soft violet blue flowers, uh, each with a tiny white eye. Again, as Joanne had said, a nice repeat blooming habit. Um, and she's going to bloom reliably May through November. It's always funny to see those pictures or find her in the garden doing her thing. Uh, Roseanne just pumping out those flowers under some snow. Great for a border. And on average, and again, she comes from um, the Armenian group or the Philostomen group. Uh, am I going to say that? Am I saying that right? Uh, Philostamen group of crane bills. And these guys get big. The straight species can get four feet tall. Uh, and we get some good Roseannes, which they're going to see on the tag that 20 to 24 inches tall uh, and about the same wide to about 30, 36 inches. But she can, and a nice, happy Roseanne, she will get nice and big as well. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. uh, give her a little bit of extra space and give her some time because she does start out small. Mm -hmm. It does divide well. Like you can share it too and again not invasive at all so uh so it's it's a good one um and robert asks um what goes well with roseanne geraniums i like what they look like but what would go good with them as a design thanks for the free advice sorry i feel guilty about the green the divine advice should i send you a check huh very funny <laughs> but uh yeah so you kind of got me thinking because i put them in almost every design but robert i've been sitting here thinking like what do i do with them that's funny uh, that's the first question what do i put with those <laughs> i know i know so i can say i have two in well the the roseanne ones i have in my garden i have in two spots one I have um, 
love um, around, I love the um, Alba variegatum um, iris, iris. So the foliage, the iris. So when the iris is done, so the iris is purple and blooming just as the roseanne starts blooming and then it's done. But then those leaves, like the green and white leaves kind of poke out and I've got my scrambling roseanne around them and next to my carpet roses as well. So I kind of have that, you know, something I, I think they work well together and something I also, and I don't know if it's a color thing because on the color wheel aren't purple and yellow like opposite each other yeah. and again everybody knows I do not like yellow flowers so I have no yellow flowers but I do like yellow foliage so I tend to put them with um a yellow golden mops um thread leaf cypress I put mm. in almost every garden as well because if we're going to put in an evergreen, let's make it not be green like everything else. So um, I, and so my second spot by my driveway and honestly, snow, salt, ice, like gets piled in this spot in my garden, right beside the driveway. And both the, the, the mops takes it as does the Roseanne. And I just love the way they kind of intermingle um, together. So those are the two, two things that I find I put them in um, because it gets bigger. It can go behind a hedge even. Um, and Matt, what would you say? Yeah, much like you, I like to a little bit. I like to design with some yellows. Uh, but yes, I love those those purple and those blues and yellows uh, that go together. And then much like you were saying with with the foliage, for example, in the roses, I like to combine it with some of the uh, the foliage uh, that I might have or some of the perennials that maybe don't bloom as long, but the nice finely cut leaves where you get a little bit of that contrast off of a, a darker leaf because they're not as dark. They're good, still good of a nice medium green, uh, but you know, whether stand off against the texture, a nice a darker green leaf or something glossy like a rose or maybe a nice, uh, like a dark green evergreen. Uh, mm -hmm. So I like to do a little bit of that texture playing when I, I design with them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in front of um, like, uh, I can keep going, Robert, I'm sorry, in front of yeah. ornamental grasses. <laughs> yes, like, exactly. Really, like, it's just one of those plants that, you know, it's quite the go to. Um, and I have to control myself because then it's like a full garden of purple, right? Because then Catmint and Sylvia, Salvia are my other two go to's. And I'm like, okay, I need to break up the purple here, which is why I, I, I will start to use more of the Bevins variety. And I want to talk about Max Fry as well, um, which um, my friend Nancy, who's a designer, she loves. And I haven't used, and she's saying that I need it in my garden. So I may, uh, I may pick some up. Uh, I plan, I will pick some up and I have got uh, some spots in my garden where she has recommended it. So it's nice to have another designer's fresh eye um, from that standpoint. So. That's right. Yeah. And Max Fry jumps into um, one of those last species that we were um, going to be looking at. And those are the bloody cranes bills, uh, geranium sanguineum the bloody cranes bill. It's also a border type. Uh, however, Max Fry isn't as large as, uh, you know, the straight uh, species. She's going to grow about 16 to 18 inches tall, uh, 18 to 24 for the just the straight bloody cranes bills. Finely cut leaves uh, make this species very well suited to edging and ground cover. So even though it is a border, uh, it isn't as tall as, you know, Roseanne, where she's going to be 36 mm -hmm. inches tall. Uh, so great for edging and, and ground covers, bright magenta purples uh, in this species, and then varying shades, depending on who you get. Because then you get into uh, Max Fry, who's very magenta pink blossoms. Uh, and Max has a very compact habit, only growing about six to eight inches uh, tall and again spreading into that uh, 16 to 24 inch range. 
Um, but the b- blood good or the, the blood goods. I almost said blood goods. There's Japanese maples uh, coming up. Uh, but the bloody cranes bills. Uh, these, like some of the other geraniums, um, they are going to tolerate a wide range of soil conditions. Uh, they do prefer that uh, partial to full sun, and they're going to bloom May through August. Um, so usually like late spring through midsummer, that nice pink, um, and they're going to be hardy through zone three through nine. So a great selection uh, for a nice low growing ground cover, um, great blooming, great period of flowers as well. So yeah, Nancy, I, it's one of our most popular ones that I can recommend oh, yeah. as well. At the garden it's funny, Center. eh? How I don't, uh, I haven't, um, well, yeah, I haven't put it in. Now, isn't there one that's light pink? So you said it was a magenta pink. I was thinking it was a light pink. Yeah. It, spot. No, no, it is more of like a magenta to a dark pink. Um, okay. And I was just trying to look up the species before I mentioned it. Um, there was another one that I like, and I'm just trying to remember. It's another well, one of the, one. while you think about it, one of the yes. other ones that are very popular that people might remember um, was Johnson's Blue. So I think yes. that was the predecessor to Roseanne. And I think now that people have Roseanne, they nobody buys a Johnson Blue anymore. Um, I right? agree. I can't yeah, even yeah. see it anymore. Yeah. I mean, but you would go to the garden center at the end and look for it and you'd find Johnson Blue and you'd kind of go, oh, no, sorry. That's not what I wanted. You know, so um <laughs> Yeah, so that's the thing. So yeah, there is one and it'll come to us that is a kind of a light pink uh, variety of one. So uh, as far as Max Fry goes, but I may maybe not Max Fry and Max Fry is spelled F-R-E-I, right? Yes, yes. So it's yes. Yes, M-A-X. No, no French fries. Yeah. No, no French fry. E-I on that end there. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And while you continue to uh, look for that other one, um, Ben is written in and he says he's sitting outdoors here at Dairy Queen in Toronto listening to our show. Hello, Ben. Enjoying oh. your ice cream. And two other people that we just met have joined us listening to you. Keep up the good work. Here's to my vanilla cone. Oh, very good. A blizzard chocolate chip cookie dough would be great <laughs> about now. <laughs> but uh, that's my favorite. That's um, my but favorite yeah, too. thank you so much for <laughs> for listening, uh, Ben, and for and sharing that with uh, with other people. So we really appreciate it. Yes, um, we do. Jake has written in, I'm going to plant some perennials in my garden this year, but do not have any now. Suggestions for a first Toronto, my zone is Toronto. That's not a zone. That's not a zone. Your zone 5B, (laughs) Jake, but you are in Toronto, so that's good. Um, It really depends on sun or shade, Uh, Jake, so we need a bit more information. Perennial geraniums, if you've got full sun to part sun, uh, they are a good place to start because there's going to be a long blooming uh, season. So whether you want something lower like Max Fry or something that gets bigger like Roseanne, uh, perennial geraniums are a great option. Um, if you're looking for, if you have more shade, then there's um, like the big root geraniums will tolerate a bit more shade. Uh, so that's uh, something we're talking about today. Um, but there's a, you know, other perennials that, uh, will uh, be good in shade. So, um, although my mind has gone completely blank, Japanese forest grass, um, Sun King Aurelia, A-R-A-L-I, uh, which is more of a foliage plant. Um, so yeah, so there's a few different ones. Yes. Yes, there is. Um, I can't think of the other one, um, that is light pink um, that jumps to mind that we're probably thinking of. Um, but it, well, the other one that I was thinking of was the, one of the species we haven't talked about yet 
uh, geranium pretense, the meadow cranes bills. Um, so good sized violet blue flowers in the early summer. Um, does like to be deaded after it's blooming to get a good second flush. Uh, but the cultivar is um, dark reiter. R-E-I-T-E-R. So you get those beautiful blue, but you've got deeply dissected or deeply lobed uh, dark purple green foliage uh, as well. Uh, and they're going to grow, they're a little bit of bigger ones. So they're going to be that, again, that border type uh, or maybe like the foreground to the midground, but average moist soil growing two to three feet tall, uh, about two feet or just over uh, two feet tall. And they're, they're, shorter bloom more so for their flowers they're going to bloom that uh, may through june uh with okay, those clusters so of bloom. nice flowers so she's okay. going to be a geranium or he's going to be a geranium because of the name uh but a, a little bit more of that plum purple foliage that is is used for versus the longer blooming time like someone like roseanne Okay. And I did find a pink one here bloody so it is a sanguineum um elsbeth. Yes. Okay. That one has light pink flowers with dark pink veins. Um, and then the, the foliage tur actually turns red in the fall. So that is uh, one of the bloody cranes bells. So that's, I think, when I see the picture, a picture of it, that's what, uh, what I think it is. Um, nice. Yeah, so that's good. It is funny how the foliage, like it's not a huge change, but the foliage is a little bit different depending on the varieties. Yes. Um, some like are finer, like, like I would think of like Coreopsis, like this fine, the threadleaf Coreopsis perennials, you know, it's got a finer uh, leaf and then other ones it is gets bigger and a bit more, um, not quite as big as the annual geranium which is again not related so we're going to confuse you even more but uh oh. yeah um and johnson's blue it's funny because it does say that it blooms um over a long period in the summer but i guess it's just not quite the same as roseanne so that's why it's not as popular anymore yeah um, yeah and do you think that because i kind of see um so like there's johnson's blue and it was a staple and then Roseanne showed up a little later uh, and it's the staple and Johnson Blue is gone. Do you think that Azure Rush um, is going to slowly take out Roseanne like Roseanne took out Johnson's yeah. Blue if it performs? Because it is a very new one, but it's got a little bit more of that compact uh, yeah. habit, right? Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Right now, I know the garden center, like the grower that I deal with will use them interchangeably. Like, so if I spec Roseanne and they don't have any, then they will sub Azure Rush and then, you know, vice versa. So I, I think it'll become where we can't, I think they're so similar that it might be hard to f figure out which is which, right? So, so yeah. Um, and I think the good thing, like, you know, they don't have to have perfect soil. So that's another great thing about yeah. this family is that it, um, this one article says that uh, I'm reading says, uh, um, we'll cover territory well, even in mean lean soil. And I love that, you know, so, uh, you know, much to our, our last listener who said about asked about fertilizing and things like that. Like, I think it's the goal is to grow things. Most people want low maintenance, at least all my clients do. And um, so if it's something that really relies on you constantly fertilizing it and fussing with it you know then move on because there's lots of other things that are that can just you know I've never fertilized Roseanne I've never done anything I barely even water it and it, it's perfectly happy so to me that's that's a winner gang yeah. as they would say when we put in our lottery <laughs> tickets right <laughs> yes that's exactly. right that's right so um 
So uh, I think, do we have some more questions or I'm just kind of getting caught up here. We had, oh. uh, I think Jake had mentioned Toronto. Oh, and you seem to have, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so Joan has given us some information. So she's saying she has some facts for us. She lives in zone five. Um, you should have called in, Joan, and you could have shared with us. Um, so she said that sometimes ger geraniums, roseanne, may stop blooming in late summer, August, when temperatures are high and moisture availability is low. However, this plant is conserving energy when the environment is more stressful. It will resume blooming once climate conditions improve. Yes, many, many plants kind of do that, too. Um, if you seem to have had bad luck with roseannes, try planting them deeper. Interesting. I recommend planting most perennials, even with the surrounding soil, and found that geraniums, Rose, oh, sorry, evenly with the surrounding soil. And I found that Roseanne geranium benefits from having its crown planted one inch below grade. Interesting. Plants are buried in this manner, seem to have a greater success over wintering compared to Roseanne geraniums that are planted at the level with the landscape. Just some tips. Love your show. Well, thank you. I mean, I haven't had an issue, um, but yeah, that is good to know for people that, um, you know, might be on the borderline of the zone or, or really concerned about uh, plants coming back. Um, then you, it's okay to plant them deeper. Yes, that's fantastic. Thank you very much, Joan, for the, the wonderful information there. Um, I had not heard that about, I've heard that about other, some other perennials, but not about, uh, Roseanne geraniums. Um, I also like uh, George's comment wrote in. Uh, George wrote in, hello, Joanne and Matthew. Uh, I don't know if you know how the name Roseanne came about, uh, but it was uh, first hybridized in Somerset, England. Uh, I knew it was from Britain um, in the garden of Donald and Roseanne Water, which is how it got the name Roseanne. Just thought I would share that with you. Yes, thank you thank very you. much, That's George. Very good. And so then I wonder where they got the name Azure Rush from, because that seems so odd, right? <laughs> um, but anyway, but no, that's great. Thank you for that information, George. That's great. And I'm glad everybody seems enthusiastic uh, about this perennial. So I hope everybody will try it. Uh, send us your pictures. I'd love to see them. I will, like I said, on our pod, on our Instagram, uh, I will uh, post some pictures of uh, mine and uh and my, the, some I've shared with the neighbor across the street. So you can see what, uh, how the different sizes grow. And uh, yeah, and I think it's, it, there's a place for it in everybody's garden. So depending on the color that you'd like, uh, definitely look for it uh, at your local garden center. Um, so yeah, so as we wind down, thank you everybody for listening um, all about our perennials uh, episodes for the whole month of this June, as well as at our favorite podcast app. We talked about four, four or five different uh, perennials last year. So we've got lots of information for you, don't we, Matt? That's right. There are some great past episodes, including an intro to perennials. Uh, we talk about shade beyond the hosta because it's the number one plant in the shade we come to. Uh, but there's a lot of other great selections. But we definitely go into some deep dives, ground covers, ornamental grasses, beneficial insects, uh, things like peonies. So definitely take a look at us, a Down the Garden Path podcast on any of your favorite uh, podcast providers. And moving in as we round out our last uh, you know, episode of our perennial month, we're moving into some other information and uh, great plant packed months uh, coming up in July. We're going to jump into popular shrubs in the landscape. And I'm sure as you're all waiting for, uh, we are going to do a two part series on hydrangeas mm -hmm. so this is definitely 
Yeah, we I could see. talk about hydrangeas all month, Matt. I don't oh, think we, we could. could like uh, we really could because people we have so many questions could. on social media. Every morning I wake up to questions about hydrangeas. Um, so yeah, so we we right now have split it into two shows because we knew we couldn't get it all into one. Um, but my favorite topic, one of my favorite plants, my oak leaf one is blooming tw- two seasons in a row. Woo-hoo! I love I'm so excited. Leaf. Yeah, I know it's amazing. Mm, so so, um, so yeah, so everybody, uh, I hope. Just like there's a there's a perennial geranium for everybody, there is definitely a hydrangea for everybody. I think. I agree. I agree. There's such a great selection, color, shape, form. Uh, I agree. And do we need? Well, we were going to talk about nine barks and wojelia after. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, to round out our popular shrub month, uh, and then don't go too far because in August we're going to start jumping into some flowering trees. Uh, it might be a solo show I hear tonight uh, from uh, <laughs> Standard Trees in August. Uh, we're going to start with Standard Trees. We talk about it every, all throughout the show for the last however many years, but the show finally falls on August 9th, which if you're new to listeners, uh, we found out totally by fluke. Totally. August 9th, Joanne and I share a birthday. We're both That's right. on August 9th. Uh, so I don't think we're doing a show that. Sorry, uh, Gary, we're not going to do a show that. Oh, I was going to have cake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> across Zoom. But, it's my uh, 40th, so I've been told I'm not allowed <laughs> to do the show. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's your big birthday. And uh, um, so, yeah, so no, it's uh, so yeah, it's kind of fluky, but shockingly, um, both of us, unbeknownst to us, knowing each other for a while, did not know we shared a birthday. So that's great. That's um, and then we're going to get into, you know, flowering dogwoods or and some large flowering trees. So really looking forward to August and uh but definitely looking forward to july there's lots and and i think shrubs as what can really like perennials are great and definitely important but i think shrubs can definitely um really tie a garden together and really bridge it from spring until fall and uh and uh you know so some of those like in the nine barks and the wajilias i love those because they do two things they bloom a long time they have interesting foliage you know, so to have, you know, something that blooms in the spring and then has great foliage for the rest of the year, um, I think is really important in, in everyone's garden. So, and they both have varieties that come in, like kind of, I always think spring, uh, like, like Tim Hortons coffee, um, small, medium, and large. And same <laughs> yeah. with hydrangeas too. They come in small, medium, and large. And uh, so, yeah, I'm excited uh, for the month of July. That's right. We've got a fantastic uh, month coming up for you and we hope that you are going to really enjoy it um and i think that um that kind of brings us to the end of the show i know i know so, it does thank, thank you. you for everybody right yes thank you everybody for tuning in don't forget you can find us you can always write us here at in studio 101 at gmail.com gary great at answering don't forget to follow us at, at down the garden at podcast on your favorite app facebook and instagram and don't forget to uh, write us down in the number two first.ca and naturalaffinity.ca. Thanks again to everyone who's tuned in live. Uh, check out for following podcasts on later episodes. And we'll see you next Monday night at 7 o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time as we talk about shrubs. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
on Reality Radio 101.